The Whale Podcast, episode 274. What's your name? My name is Shakesha K. Ellis. Shakesha K. Ellis. Fabulous. What was your substance of choice or DOC? My, my drug of choice was prescribed prescription opioids that were prescribed to me by a orth, orthopedic doctor. And that was how I became addicted to opioids. I had never did drugs before. Right. That's crazy. What was your, or what is your clean sober date? My clean and sober date is August the 8th, 2010. 11 years long-term recovery, 11 plus years of long-term recovery. That's amazing. Thanks for the inspiration because, you know, I got a little over five, but every day I'm like hearing people with all these extra, you know, all this extra time more than I got. And I'm like, well, that's good to know that you can do that. So thank you for letting me know you can do that. (laughs) What is Everybody's different. Every person is different with recovery. It depends on the (laughs) drug of choice, the the length of use, the family history. There's so many factors involved in person's recovery and what they decide how they're going to be like okay like uh, you know it's a lot of different things that can decide into that factor through that what is your primary recovery program or pathway so my primary pathway to recovery was god christian um higher being was jesus christ because i was at a point where I was either going to die or go to the feds. Like I knew that, like I was, the, the DEA was looking for me and I was 97 pounds and I was I was overdosing on a daily basis. So I knew that either I was gonna die or go to the feds. And my fear was to go through get cold turkey in, in jail in a, in, a, in, a, in a prison system. And they don't have favor on people that go in there with addictions. Like they just throw you in a cell and you vomit in a hole. And that's it. And you be a lot of people die like that, going through withdrawal and from from addiction inside of a jail cell. So that was my biggest fear. I didn't want to go through that. How do you serve the recovery community? So in in 2010, when I got off opioids, I basically um, found my higher being, and then I didn't I didn't know what to expect in those steps. And I always say, being a motivational speaker and a public speaker, that we have to share our recovery layers, which is the layers of what we deal with every day being recovery, whether it's for a day, um, a week, a month, two years, five years, 10 years, 12 years, 50, 30 years. If you're not sharing those recovery layers, people, you're not, you're not relatable. And I don't care what, what pathway you chose because mm. I, I support many pathways to recovery, but if you're not someone that's sharing those pathways, and how you got through those phases and those years, you're not reaching nobody. So it don't matter. So for me, I basically realized that when I got clean, I went through this great feeling where I was just like, oh, I want to help the world. Like if you go through something for a long time, like 10 years, you'd be feeling like you was in a in a cave, like a bear, and you was hiber- in hibernation phase. You was like, oh my gosh, like I don't know what time of the day it is. I don't know what I want to eat today. Like your life is crazy in addiction. You don't remember nothing. You just go through things and you be like, how do I get through this? Like how, once you come out of that, then you look back and be like, okay, oh my God, I got all this money I want to spend. I'm not buying pills. So let me 
go buy myself a new hat or a pair of shoes, you know, <laughs> or, or let me just go buy myself something. It's not a pill or it's not a doctor's um, prescription or, or a doctor's visit. So when I got clean, I started giving back immediately. It was just like, I don't know what it was. I just started giving back. Well, that's amazing. And it's, uh, you know, when you're used to being flat ass broker, every every cent is going out to to the doctor in your case. It's like shit, you know, you don't even know what to do with it. And it's good. I think, you know, my sponsor always used to tell me because I'd be like, when am I going to start feeling better about myself? And he said, the best way to gain self-esteem is through esteemable actions. So like giving back, you know, being of service to others helping others or as you're saying too you know recovering out loud you know sharing that story recovering out loud hmm so you have to recover out loud it's no such thing as is silence it's no such thing as it's no such thing as that if you are recovering like this you're not reaching people and that don't matter you just bye-bye i'm cool with it i'm just over it like i really am like you know me i speak my mind and i just feel like I have reached, like people look at me like, oh, you always fly and you're always cute and you always got your lashes and your makeup and your hair and your clothes and your pocketbooks and your sunglasses. Guess what? At the end of the day, I'm reachable because I'm hood and I'm inner city and I was raised up poor. I was raised up from humble beginnings. So I understand everything it takes to, to be who I am, even elevating. So I'm like this, listen, I'm recovering out loud every day. And I'm, I share some of my stories and some of the people I help, they be like, please share my story. I want people to know about what I'm dealing with because I want to help other people. Just don't say my name. So sometimes I know with the confidentiality thing, people be like, don't mention people's names. And, you know, listen, I have permission to do that. And if you want to help somebody else, that, that could be their beginning. Amen. And then what, what does recovery mean to you? <sighs> what does recovery mean to me? Mm. Jay, you know, I love you more than fried chicken. <laughs> That's saying something. Collard greens. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, not collard greens, but maybe fried chicken. <laughs> oh, well, I'll take it. I'll take it. But I just want to say that, like, I'm going through some things now, and I'm trying to take care of my mental health because I just feel like I'm kind of in a situation where I don't have what I need. Everything is just like, you know. I'm taking care of my mental health because I know that's a big part of addiction. Mental health and addiction are connected. They're like mm -hmm. on the same same railroad track. But um, recovery, what recovery means to me is this. Even though I'm struggling right now and I'm going through so much, right? I woke up this morning. I got on my hands and knees and I prayed. I thank God for being able to get up out the bed, um, to wake up, to yawn, to sneeze, to stretch, and all these things that... Um, I wasn't doing when I was on opioids. I wasn't yawning or sneezing or stretching or none of those things because I was so medicated. But what recovery means to me is being able to wake up and look at in my inbox because I am on a national level with my advocacy and I don't have a big, huge organization now, but I'm helping a lot of people and I have other people helping me help these people. So to wake up and realize that I'm not running to a pharmacy or running to the toilet to vomit because I'm going through withdrawal from last night mm. is is a great thing. And to be able to help people 
and to be a purpose to other people is what recovery means to me because that is the biggest part of my recovery being able to for people to, to look at me and say this this woman can help me like she she understands what addiction is right. and I, I just think that that's the biggest part of my recovery that's what recovery means to me is being able to help other people and be that voice that I was that was voiceless at, at during my addiction amen yeah I mean you get you get this opportunity to live a life of purpose. And even when you're going through a lot of hard stuff, um, you can at least always have that purpose is there and it keeps you on the track. It keeps you on the path, right? So that's a beautiful response. Thank you. Welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, recovery co-host extraordinaire Jason had the pleasure of talking with Chakesha K. Ellis about her opioid journey and recovery advocacy. She never so much as touched a drug in her life, but a torn meniscus began a 10-year prescription addiction that nearly killed her and did indeed cause opioid toxicity, which permanently damaged her hearing. Chakesha's transparency as she shares her journey to and through recovery to this point is nothing short of amazing. Without question, this episode features a whole lot of real recovery talk. So listen up. Hey, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land. This is your trusty co host, Jason. I got with me a special guest I met at Mobilize Recovery 2021, Chakesha K. Ellis. She is fabulous. 
How's it going? How are you? I'm happy to be here. I'm really happy to have you here, and I cannot wait to cut it up with you and just talk life, talk recovery, talk the depths as well. Um, just to start us off, why don't you give us give the listeners a brief introduction to yourself, and then we'll go from there. My name is Shakesha K. Ellis. Mm. I am a woman in long-term recovery from opioid use disorder or substance use disorder from prescribed opioids. I have to specify that because I'm no different than someone using heroin, but I just want to stress the fact that I was someone that got addicted to opioids after being prescribed them after a knee surgery and I'd never taken drugs before. So I got clean in 2010. I, I suffered with substance use disorder for 11 years, 10 years. And literally a decade. And I basically um, lost my hearing in 2009 from um, opioid toxicity, which is taking so many opioids that you lose your hearing. They damage See, that's, the ear. That is interesting to me because I'd never had heard of that before I met you. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's yep. I lost my hearing from opioids. I was taking, um, I started taking the opioids as, as prescribed. And then I started taking more than what I was supposed to take because my body's tolerance kept building up. And then I wound up taking 35 pills a day. And that went on for years. And then um, um, I just totally got caught up and lost my way. So um, I got clean in 2010 and um I am a national advocate with Mobilize Recovery and Recovery Advocacy Project, um, Recovery Voices. Um, I basically just turned my life around and I am here to bring hope to people that feel like, do you have my pictures too? Um, oh, Dave? hell yeah. 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 So I have some, some pictures that are very um, flooring because they are me. At the height of my addiction, I looked like I was dying. I was 97 pounds. And today mm. I'm a healthy 140 pounds. And I thank God every day for his grace and mercy. And like I'm going through some rough times and some hard times right now, but I still have my faith. My faith is still there. And that is what got me through my addiction. So I wrote a book. I'm an author. My book is called A Life of Chaos, My Opioid Journey Through Hell, Hope, and Healing. My book was an Amazon bestseller in January of this year when it came out. I got that little orange sticker on there. Yes, I did. How are you doing? Nice. And it don't matter that I didn't sell hundreds of thousands of copies. It don't matter that my book is not a New York Times bestseller. I still got that Amazon bestseller, <laughs> so that's cool. Hell yeah. That's way cool, man. I have sold a lot of books. My my life has changed forever. And um, I'm a national advocate as well as a, a um, in my community and my, my local areas, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Delaware. I am doing national advocacy and local advocacy with people in with substance use disorder. And um, I just, you know, I'm working with Shatterproof, um, working, talking about stigmas. And um, I'm in the inclusivity caucus. This is a lot of things I'm involved in, but I just feel like 
we need to have more awareness um, for this opioid thing in, in our different communities and things like that. Amen. Yeah. And I, I thank you for your service, all of it, all the different types of service that you do. Um, let's back it up though, before, before we go too far into all that, cause that's so much, there's so much there, right. That we could expand on, but mm-hmm. just to start out, like uh, let's, let's take it way back. You know, like what, what was it like for Chikasha growing up? And, and like, how would you describe yourself when you were a kid and, and uh, your you know, what your life was like before you had that injury and you got prescribed? Cause you had mentioned you never did drugs before, you know, the injury. <laughs> so yeah, so what, what my, my story, right. Jay. So my story is so different because, well, it's not different because it's different because a lot of people don't want to admit that their families are dealing with this right now. But I was, I grew up in a great family home. Um, I'm a preacher's daughter. My dad was a bishop. He passed away in 2017. I was raised in the church. <clears throat> I was one of those little girls singing in the church pews with barrettes and baldies in my hair. And I was just, you know, I understood who God was, his power and how he worked and things. My, my family, I saw them go through things. And I just like, this is not a human thing. So I, I grew up in a great environment. But um, the fact that a lot of people get caught up in the fact that their kids are raised greatly and that they have things that other kids don't have. Sometimes people think that their kids are more privileged and that, you know, I'm giving my kids, I'm getting my, my daughter's hair done every week. She nails is done. I'm dropping her off at the mall. I'm taking my son to uh, doing this with my kids, going to the mall. You got friends. They got Jordans and iPhones and iPads. And like, I just think that all those things does not matter because your kid's life could be affected by one of their friends' friends or one of their friends' friends' friends, and that can that can cause them to want to go out and just have fun. Like great kids become addicted, and they oh. might go to a party and be like, "Hey, you want to try this pill? It's Percocet." Oh, my mom got those. She got those from a, a tooth a toothache. Um, um, she got a, she got a tooth removed, so they gave her those. So your kid can get a Percocet and it might not be the same Percocet that your mom got in that cabinet. It might be fentanyl. And if your kid get hold of that, they're going to die. Mm. That's it. It's no coming back from that. If you don't have the proper um, administration of the Narcan to give them, or if not one doesn't get there fast enough, your kid's going to die. Even just great kids die from, from fentanyl because they just want to experiment. But I came from a great family and still became a person with substance use disorder. Right. Yeah. It doesn't addiction. Don't discriminate. Right. It doesn't bow down to any socioeconomic status or culture or, you know, anything, anything. Right. Education level, color of your skin. Doesn't matter. None of that. It it does not. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what type of um, family you come from. Um, all that stuff, it, it doesn't matter. It, addiction does not discriminate. And that is my main, when I go out, I have spoken at over 30 different schools and colleges in the past years of my recovery. And I have had kids come up to me after confidentially and say, um, can you, how can I get Narcan? Cause I have a cousin, my brother, my mom, my yeah. grandpa, my grandma, like it could, it could be anybody. And we just have to like, stop thinking that walking, Thinking that everything in our house, you know, and our everything in our house is great. 
And because we take care of our families inside that home, that everything is good. But at the end of the day, when you walk outside your door, your, your daughter's best friend might be on the step next door or up the street. She might have overdosed and you might be able to administer Narcan to her. So right. I always encourage people to, to use that. And I give it out. Um, harm reduction, team harm reduction. Hell yeah. Not harm reduction pro, but I know what Narcan is and fentanyl test strips and how to use them. And I give them out. Absolutely. I mean, I always tell people it's better to have it and not need it than it is to need it and not have it. Right. You know? Shit. Because you can't do shit if you need it and you don't have it. You cannot do nothing without it. I got 12 different things of Narcan and I have never had to use it, you know, but it's good to have. I got it in the car. I got it in the house and it is good to, to know how to use that. And yeah, like you said, even if people don't use, they know somebody that does. Right. right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Addiction does not discriminate. And then if a doctor cuts off their prescription and they're physically dependent on the the pills, then they're going to try to get it from the street. Yeah, because what these doctors are doing, like, I'm I'm really addicted on dope sick right now. That show? I'm I'm really addicted to that. I'm thinking the last episode is this Wednesday. I'm I'm really heartbroken because I'm just like, oh. I want to see more of this. Like, this was my life. I was a doctor. I was Betsy. I was everybody in the movie. I, I, I was the, the DEA. I was fighting for people. And I'm just like, listen, at the end of the day, we have to realize that it started in Western Virginia and mm. Kentucky and in, 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 those, in those rural areas. But guess what? It is a national situation right now. And people are just walking out their doors and thinking that, oh, my kids good. They in college. They good. My son is this. My kids is that. Listen, substance use disorder runs in families. Okay? And that's the reality of it. It runs through generations. And I'm not saying this is for every family. But for me, that was my case. Like, I was a woman that was because of my last name. I was more susceptible to addiction and didn't know that. So I was a full-blown addict. Wow. Yeah. And how could you know that when you grew up in a good Christian? I didn't know nothing. I didn't know none of that. I didn't. No. If anything, like the community probably looked up to your family and your dad, right? Because because he was a leader in the church. Yep. That my my biological family is my biological last name. Not my not my mom's husband. He was a bishop. But my family, but my last name, the Ellis's have a high rate of substance use disorder in the family. Okay. And I didn't know that until I actually got off the opioids after 10 years of suffering. So I tell people all the time, talk to your kids, talk to your kids. I don't care how, if, you, if they sit in the front pews, I was a front pew girl. Yeah. I don't care if they're choir boys, if they um, get in, um, if they're Jewish, because I know some some families that are Jewish, they, they put their kids on pedestals and they think that, they might not come in contact with one of the friends' friends or somebody else that want to sip them something. It's just it's a lot of different ways that your kids can become addicted. Like it don't matter. You just have to keep educating your kids about this disease. Addiction mm. is a disease. Yeah, absolutely it is. So you you mentioned that you you grew up in a really good family environment and all that. What so did you, was there anything else before your injury that you wanted to add about your life prior to, or did you want to just tell us about the injury and how that all played out? Well, my life was great before my addiction. I was a professional model. 
I was walking runways in New York. I was on magazine covers. I was doing all types of great things. And I was 27 years old. So, you know, when you're in your late 20s, you still kind of like growing. You're not really mature. I mean, it depends. Some people's maturity levels are different. But, you know, when I was 27, I was still a lot naive. I, I had my own place, my own car and all of that. But I was still naive. I was meeting guys and going out and partying. And I was just, I did, the things, I, when I look back, I wasn't who I am now. Like, I'll be 50 next month. But I was I was a professional model. So who would ever think that my life, I wasn't self-medicating. So at the time of my addiction, I wasn't someone that was trying to cover up something. Like I wasn't like in a bad relationship or going through something where I felt like I had to um, self-medicate myself to get through something. And my life was great. And I wound up taking the opioids and loving them. Yeah. Hell yeah. So what, talk about what happened with your injury. Like that started that whole prescription and everything like that. Oh my God. So my, I had a great, a great job as a social worker and I was working for Dykes, which is like the state working with children, youth going out to different um, families, homes and things like that. And I basically fell at work one day and, and um, tore a meniscus and realized I had to get surgery. So I was like, okay, so I didn't really think much of it, but, um, what I didn't realize is after watching Dope Sick, it put me on to how the doctors, the paramedics, the lawyers, the attorneys, how everybody worked together and they all getting kickbacks off of one person from an accident. Mm. And that was my life. I was someone that got in an accident, hired a lawyer. That lawyer sent me to his doctor and his orthopedic surgeon. And then everything was just connected. Yeah. And for eight years, I was getting prescribed. Laura said hydrocodone from a doctor for eight years. I had a doctor prescribe me. Laura said hydrocodone. So that's why I say that I understand this dope sick. And I keep bringing it up because, you know, I was like Betsy, like they was trying to put me in detoxes. I mean, not detox. They were trying to put me in, in, in a meetings and I couldn't hear. And I was just like, okay, so I'm going through withdrawal. And I didn't even understand what that was. The withdrawals was brutal. And I just, I didn't have someone to walk me through that process. So I understand when people are saying they're vomiting, they have diarrhea, they're doing all these things. Um, how that works, like, it's, it's a lot. I can't imagine. Like, I've, I mean, I've played around with a lot of opioids, but I've never was like, that was never like my thing. Like I was more of an upper person. Right. And I, I liked having that shit on hand to knock me out when I was ready to go to bed. Cause I right. didn't want to feel the shitty come down part of nothing. You know, right. I mean, I, I, I went on a couple times where I went on like, you know, two, three days of just doing opiates and then feel that shitty come down. And then I'd sleep for fucking ever, but you know, I never did it that much where I had to deal with that. Um, you yeah, know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I understand why so many people um, it's so hard for so many people to get off of the opioids because the, the withdrawals is, is the deal breaker for me. Like I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people, helping people. And I just know that the opioid withdrawals, I've never took dope before, but I was, I could have been on dope easily because I, I was, I had ran out of my options for doctors to write the scripts, but I basically, um, the withdrawals is a deal breaker. I'm talking everything you go through, it makes you want to kill yourself. 
and mm. you feel like you're dying and you want to kill other people at the same time. Right. So I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And you were, like you said, you were doing it for a long time. And, uh, how, how are you getting so many pills if you were taking so many damn pills towards the end? Like how, <laughs> it's, it's the deal breaker. how'd you get it's, so it's much? This is the deal breaker. So I was, I, I, I started blogging when I got clean in my early years. And I wrote a post called you do the math. But when I sat down and looked at, cause I used to keep track of all the doctors. I started doctor shopping. So all the doctors I was seeing, I was writing down the dates I was going to visit them, how much the copay was and how many pills I was getting and how much the prescription was. So I would keep tracking calendars, how I was going to get, keep up with all my pills to keep up with my Joneses. Right. Right. I was taking about 35 pills a day and I had over 75 doctors in, in, in my whole year addiction in nine years. Damn. And it's very easy because I would walk in the office and be like, you know what? My doctor's on vacation. Um, I need uh, my my opioids. Um, I'm going to Canada. I would pick out places where they, the the script couldn't be transferred. Yeah, <laughs> going on a long trip. I need Pretty a big bad. supply. Like really, like I was just it was just like organized crime. Like I was just like okay, uh, I'm going to Canada tomorrow. So it was like you can. So if I say any state in the U.S., they're like, we can transfer it. You can get it on that day. And I wanted the early refill. So I'd be like, I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just like crazy. Like I was just like adding refills. I, I, I mean, one day I walked into a pharmacy and don't like forging the script. I got 360 pills. I swear I'm not lying. God can take my life. No, I, I got 300 because it was 120 times three. So I told them I needed early. I told them I needed all the refills up front. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. They gave me 360. I walked out of there like, wow. <laughs> wow. So was yeah, this I mean, just, like, was this was just like something that happened naturally? Because I was getting became, over on everybody. Because you became so fucking like uh, just out there and like no shame in your game. Or was this something that you learned from other people that you met in the process that were also into the pills. I mean, how did you, how did you learn how to do all that? So, so here's a twist. So, you know, I'm again, bringing up dope sick with Beth Macy, because I don't know. I've only seen the first episode. So all right, I'm just telling you, you got to watch all the rest of the episodes. You have to I'm going really to. <laughs> all right. So listen, this is what I'm saying. So I think the last episode is Wednesday, but Beth Macy, if you're listening, I, I, I really admire what you put into this because they used to have pill mills and a pill mill is a doctor that is writing everybody's scripts and you get in line to get those scripts. So I used to have to line up to go get in line for the scripts, but I didn't know what I was dealing with back in the day. Like I had doctors in, in Lindenwald, New Jersey. Right. I used to, I used to, they used to be like, your appointment's at one, but you know, get here early. So I would like walk up and the line would be down the street. So I'll be like, well, what? They all had appointments at the same time. I didn't know what was going on. And and so this doctor was giving out Lorset hydrocodone, but I just have to like, I mean, everybody in the waiting room was just like mm, just nodding out. Just like on dope sick. Like you gotta see, you gotta watch that because 
it is so many parts to that that people just really don't understand. Like, I when I seen Dope Sick and was like, I didn't know what a pill mill was. Jack, Jack Brown is on my live. Jack, what is the name um, of what they called the doctors that gave out lots of opioids? They had a name for that on, on Dope Sick. I can't remember what it was. But I was in those lines at those doctors. And if I met somebody at another line, they'd be like, here, here's my number. Go to this doctor. He's giving out pills on Tuesday. It was so many pill mills in Philly. I'm talking Kensington. I was going to, I was in Delaware. I was everywhere. I was, I was on flights in Atlanta. Damn. I was desperate not to go through the withdrawals. Jack, what was the name of the doctor? What, what did they call the doctors? That, um... That was on dope sick. That was it was a name that they gave out for um, that, that the DEA was like, these are people that are giving out all these pills. That was me. That's how I got Jay. Are you ready for this? 1200 pills a month. Jesus Christ. That's so much. That's look that night. People be like, how did you go deaf? That's how <laughs> that's how I went deaf. Dude, that's insane. That is totally insane. So how did you regain your hearing anyway? Like, so my hearing is back and Jason is asking me how I got my hearing back after losing my hearing in 2009. Um, I got clean in 2010. And so after I got clean, I realized that I wanted to get my life back and I wanted to do the right thing to take care of my health. Cause on, on drugs, you don't take care of yourself. You don't take care of your teeth. You don't take care of your body. You don't, you don't do none of the stuff you're supposed to do. You just be chasing the pill. The drug, you don't want, you don't care about nothing else. Your kids, your mom, your family. So when I got off the opioids, I basically went to an audiologist because my hearing started dwindling and I couldn't figure it out. So an audiologist was like, um, you're suffering from some type of hearing loss. So I was like, what do you mean? And they was just like, you're suffering from some type of profound hearing loss. So I was like, what is that? They were like, I don't know. You just have to come back next month. We'll give you some hearing aids. Like they kind of blew it off and they didn't think because I was so young, I would be going deaf. Right. But at some point I kept going back to the audiologist and they were like, you're deaf. You, 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 your hearing is going down. Like they would show me graphs. My hearing was just like, so it was like, we're going to give you hearing aids. And I was like, I don't want no hearing aids. Like I'm not no old woman. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Really? But after, after a certain point of time, I, I became desperate to want to hear Cause right. it was like talk on this, I can't hear you. So I, I was just desperate. I was like, oh my god, like I'm, I can't hear. Like I was like, mm, I don't know what's going on. So I was like, all right, I'll take the hearing aids, whatever, just give it to me. So I got the hearing aids, and then one morning I woke up and realized I couldn't hear nothing at all. Because mm. the, the hearing aid batteries had died, and I totally lost my hearing. And um, you know, so in 2012, I wound up getting cochlear implant surgery which is a surgery where they rewire your brain, the inner part of your hearing. When you hear from your brain part, okay. which is right here, I got surgeries where they go into, they cut open and they go in and they rewire all that. They put magnets and wires. I am like a human bionic woman because if I move this to the mm -hmm. side, I can't hear. It has to be on the magnet for me to hear. For real? <laughs> so you're like a cyborg. <laughs> yes, I'm like, I'm like a real superhero. Hell yeah, you are. <laughs> no, that's amazing, man. It's crazy what I they can do. Human, like at night, I take my wig off 
and I take the stocking cap off and I take off the cochlear implants and I'm deaf. Really? Wow. So I, I keep, sometimes I keep one on and I, I learned how to sleep because I'm a single mom. So I learned how to sleep where I can hear my, hear, hear my son Houston. So mm. if I'm sleeping on my left side, I'll take the left one off so I can hear on this side. Okay. If I fall asleep on this side, I'll put this one back on and I hear on this side so I can hear my son. Because wow. I don't feel comfortable not being able to not hear him at night for anything. And I'm really a deaf woman. I'm fully deaf. Without these implants, I can't hear. Wow. And you can just take them off and put them on, huh? I take them off and put them back on. I change the batteries every 24 hours. Wow. That's insane. Yep. But that's really amazing that they can do that for you. I mean, considering, because yep. that's the type of thing. I mean, shit, it probably wasn't that long ago if somebody suffered from that uh, opioid toxicity and lost their hearing, they would have been fucked. Just like no hearing at but it's all. Not just, it's, not just, it's not just from opioids. It's people that just lose their hearing. Like a lot of people don't realize what options are available for them to hear again. Right. Like there's some people that have one, one hearing that they totally lost. And I, I have met people because I'm a spokeswoman for Cochlear America, the okay. company that made my implant. So I meet people sometime and I encourage them to be like, listen, if you're young and you're healthy and you're not hearing from one side, I will get the surgery because I'm fully deaf. Like, and I'm hearing from both sides. My left, it, it sounds like I'm tapping the mic right now, right here. Wow. I'm moving it right now. I just move one a little bit. It's <laughs> like I'm tapping a microphone. That's how I hear. When I take them off, I'll be like, shh. I want to start scratching. It's <laughs> so funny. You crazy. <laughs> I know, right? I'm crazy. I love it. You know, when you, you talked about how you had like a spiritual experience that, that kind of brought you to your knees and you knew that you had to stop. Could you tell us about that experience and what happened? So um, I'm I'm from Pennsylvania, and I live in New Jersey now. But I'm from different parts of PA. I grew up. Um, I was born in Detroit. Grew up in Philadelphia, and moved to Bristol, Pennsylvania, then back to Philadelphia. So I'm a PA girl, really a Philly girl. Because Philly raised me. But at the height of my addiction, I you know because I was doctor shopping all over, like I was in like twelve or thirteen states. I was my name was being flagged by the DEA. So um, when I finally made, had the aha moment, I was at a giant pharmacy, which is a supermarket in um, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, the giant pharmacy, the giant supermarkets, is, they're really good pharmacy, um, markets, but they have pharmacies there. So I was on Street Road and I was sitting in a beautiful Land Rover truck that I had and I had a forged script that I had made up myself because I had stole a script um, off a script pad and I used my window to trace it on and write the script out and whatever and put refills on it. So I guess they had a situation where they put the prescription through the thing, like through that thing that scans it. Mm. And this was in 2009. So I didn't know that they could really look at it to see if it was fake or if it was real, but I guess they looked at it and seeing that it wasn't written. It was traced over. At that moment, they were like, we'll be right back. I was like, okay. And I was going through withdrawal at that point. So I sat down in the pharmacy at the Giant on Street Road, which is all the way, all the way up Street Road. I'm not going to say Street Road. It was like 611, like Montgomery County. 
And um, it was taking too long, but I had been doing this statewide. So if somebody takes too long with a script, I walk out. I just give discernment and I'd be like, you know what? I'm walking out because they probably called the cops. So I was waiting for them to fill this forward script. And I was just like, okay, um, what is going on? And they came back and they were like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to keep this script because we can't fill this. So I was like, all right, fine. Just give me the script back. Like I didn't want them to have the script. So they gave it back to me. Wow. And I think they had called the cops. So I got in my car. I sat in my truck. And um, at that point, like a week before that, I went to a Target pharmacy and they had sent out an APB to all my doctors because they realized that I was going to like six or eight doctors for the same medication. So I had lost like six or seven doctors. I had about 15 or 20 doctors at one time. Wow. Every time I lost one, I would get another one. I was a doctor shopper. That was about, that was how I supported my habit. So, you know, at the time I was like, okay, when I walked out that pharmacy and I knew that I had lost the majority of my doctors, I knew that I was either going to die because I, I, I was overdosing and I didn't know I was overdosing. I didn't know it because it wasn't like fentanyl where you just like go unconscious, but you just pass out when you on the floor and you wake up and you be like, where am I at? You be looking around. Right. I was overdosing because I was going through periods of withdrawal. And abstinence and then going back to the same amount. That's how everybody's dying because of the fentanyl. But mm-hmm. I was going through that and I didn't know it. So I got in my truck and I was like, I saw a cop car pull up in front of the store. I was like, they probably called the cops on me. I got in my car and I just, I was like, oh my God. Like I was like, like 16 hours going through withdrawal. And you know, when you're on drugs like opioids or heroin, 16 hours is like two days. Yeah. Like you like out of it. You just like dizzy, you like throwing up. You're like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Like, so I got in my truck. I opened my sunroof and I said, I'm not I'm done with this. Cause I, I thought about it and I said, at this point where I'm at now, I don't have no other doctors. Like my name is in the DA's database. Like they're looking for me. So I was like, I'm either going to the jail or I'm gonna die. So I I, I made it up in my mind. On August the 8th, 2010, when I was sitting in my truck in my Land Rover, I opened the sunroof and a cop knocked on my window and was like, ma'am, are you okay? I had my truck running, keys was on, the lights was on, and I was just like passed out. Because, you know, when you start going through withdrawal from any drug, the first thing you get is the sleepiness. Like, you'd be like passed out. Like, you like, you just be out of it. And that was me. So the cop didn't know what was going on with me. And I was like, I'm okay. I'm fine. I drove home to Delaware that night. And that was the last time I took a pill. I called my, I text my mom. <clears throat> I was like, mom, I can't do this no more. I was like, I'm going to need you to come here because I'm sick. She, she knew like, what you were doing. She, my mom knew, but she didn't understand me. She didn't know I was taking <clears throat> the pills, the amount I was taking. She didn't know I was taking like 35 pills a day. She didn't know I was, she didn't know I was going to be like, sick where I could be hospitalized. Like I could have died in my house. Right. I could have died in my house. Like I was really, really, I mean, I'm not saying I could have died going through the withdrawal, but I could have died if I, if I went back to the drug. So like my she mom, didn't, she it. didn't know about the extent of the excess that you were using. No, she did not. <laughs> my mom didn't know. My dad right. didn't either. 
But when I called, I texted her, I was like, mom, please. I was like, can you come here in the morning? I'm so sick. And I know I'm going to be sicker. As each day goes on, I'm going to get real sick. I was like, mom, please, can you come here? She was like, I'm coming. So the next morning, I, um, I, I, was, I had a rough night with a trash can. My bathroom was, I had a bathroom downstairs in my home yeah. at the time when I was living in Delaware. And that's where I spent my night. My mom came the next morning, her and my dad came. They, they told me to get on my knees. They prayed me. They, they prayed with me. My dad was like, you've been through a lot. You've been delivered from a lot. So baby doll, you got to put your faith up. Like you, you have to believe that this can happen and you have to surrender. Like you, this is not a situation that somebody else can help you through. Like you're not, it's not a physical thing, but I'm not saying that there's not other pathways to recovery that other people can do right. that can help them. But I'm, I came from a, a religious and spiritual background. So my parents reverted me back to that. I got on my knees and I prayed and I cried out and I was like, I can't like, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this in 2010, when I got clean, so boxing wasn't readily available for people and not even people of color. And so I was just like, oh my God, like, I felt like I was going to die. Like after a week, I was still throwing up. I still had diarrhea. I still couldn't sleep. I was still paranoid. I was going through mental stuff. And I was like, mom, please, I need suboxone. Like, please help me, mom. Like suboxone is a medication that I really wanted to get on. But they was like, it's 500 up front. Insurance doesn't cover it. And you got to wait two weeks to get in. So after those two weeks, I just, I just cold turkey. I had no choice. Because by then you felt fine and you were like, whatever, I don't need it now. I couldn't do nothing else. They was telling me two weeks two weeks to get into the clinic to pay the $400 yeah. to get the suboxone in 2010. Wow. <laughs> and I just, I just kept, my mom was like, my mom was with me. She was like, just keep going, just keep praying. I'm going to keep blessing you every day. Put the mm. cross for your boy. Keep praying, keep praying through this. You can do this. And every day got better. Every day got better. And I, I don't want nobody to ever do this because it's not for everybody. Right. And if you call Turkey a drug and you go back and you relapse, you might die. You cannot absolutely not use my pathway as your pathway. This worked for me because I don't know why it just did, but you just have to seek medical, um, medical right. professional advice from a doctor. If you decide to do that. Well, and to, your point, to, to your point, things are different now than they were then. <laughs> Things it, are totally it, it wasn't as readily available or as widespread of a treatment, right. you know, back then it was methadone and what's methadone methadone. They're like, you're going to take this for the rest of your life now. Right. You know, which is right. kind of fucked up. Yes. The methadone, you know? like really like methadone is the same drug as heroin. Like they just giving you something else and you have to, and I, and I have, I have, listen, I have, I'm helping people now in, in, in my, in my advocacy that are trying to get off of methadone and that shit I heard is worse than getting off of heroin. And I'm not saying this to discourage someone because this, this might, this pathway might work for somebody. And I know someone that successfully weaned off of methadone and they, they were on it for like 13 years and they successfully weaned off of that. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying that it might not work for somebody, but some people still, still get the high. And they they pick up another habit instead of trying to want to get off of it or weaning off of something. Right. They brain love it, and it's another drug for them. Well, in those methadone clinics are toxic environments too. Like you can't step out the front door 
without seeing somebody that's trying to trade their their methadone dose for a bag of heroin or or just trying to sell their methadone dose so you could go to pick it up and then go home with four times your daily dose you know and yeah get high wait a minute jay so did you say that when you walk outside the methadone clinic somebody be trying to sell their methadone dose yeah people be doing that so that they can get heroin but I mean, at least uh, that's how it is out here in Minneapolis, man. If you go to the methadone clinic, there's always people kind of loitering around the area and what? they're trying to score. They either want to buy somebody's methadone or they want to sell their own methadone so that they can get s- some heroin or trade. Yeah. There's, fuck yeah. This, this, listen, Jay, this is why you have to watch Dope Sick because the girl, Betsy, was in detox. I mean, she wasn't in detox. They sent her to a Narcotics Anonymous treatment um, meeting. But, you know, back then, in the, back in the day, they didn't have detox. It wasn't as prominent as it is now. Right. So this young woman went to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and she was sweating and going through full withdrawal, and they were trying to talk her through that. So she went into the bathroom to, you know, write, put some water on her face and pour herself together. And one of the old ladies from the meeting was telling her, pills in the bathroom the oxys yeah. Yeah. so i understand that yep it's well in that too you know in recovery meetings it's like there's it's a program full of sick people and some of those people aren't really there for the right reason some of those people are there to get their card signed and they're right. still using you know um that's why they say at the beginning of any na meeting you know that you know we ask that you leave any drugs or paraphernalia outside right. Because they know damn good and well that there's going to be people showing up that oh are cold. Oh, my God, that's crazy. I didn't know that. i never been in NA or, or none of those different programs. Yeah, but it's, when I it's, right in the, them, it's right in the beginning. It, it was an old head. It was an old woman in the bathroom selling yeah. her pills. She was like, baby, let me help you wipe your face. She's like, what you need, baby? I got you. And at first, I thought she was going to comfort the girl. Yeah. But she was selling the pills to the girl. I was just like, okay. oh, my God. Like. That's real sad. life stuff. It is real. It is real. And it's sad. And you know, unfortunately, sometimes people like that are doing that kind of stuff, they really they mean well. You know, they're trying to help. They want to help the person not be sick, but they don't realize right. that the, the right. person can actually die. They don't yeah. know how to they don't know how long this person's been going through abstinence from a drug. It's, and that if they go back to an 80 when it was off of nothing, they could die. Yeah. They could, people were dying. From overdoses from medication without fentanyl. It was just Oxycontin. Right. That's crazy. Like, I'm just like, listen, (laughs) that's why I do what I do. Hell yeah. I'm an advocate. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm a foot foot soldier. I'm nobody big. My organization is not fully established. Um, I'm not breaking in thousands of donations, thousands of thousands of donations. I'm just on a grassroots level and I'm going out. And, and spreading my message and, and giving out Narcan, doing harm reduction, giving out fentanyl test strips, because there's a lot of people out here that, that relapse. Yeah. And that they they just want to get high, mm. but they don't want to die. But they don't mm. realize that everything you buy off the street in two, 2000 in, in this era is fentanyl lace. Yeah. It's not nothing you buying off the street without fent in it. They call it Fetty. I didn't even know that. They call it Fetty? <laughs> Fetty. Fentanyl is called fatty on the streets. I ain't even know the street term for that. Right. I you just taught me that. I it's called fatty. 
That's what everybody, everybody on the street want Fetty. You just and made so me we, think of that rapper Fetty Wap. Is that what it is? Yeah, so that's a whole nother story. I don't, I don't <laughs> like but yeah, uh so speaking of your advocacy, how when you when you did start feeling better, um why don't you tell us a little bit about what that was like? You know, because of course, you know, first the physical comes back, but then now you're you have to get to the business of living, which you've been probably kind of putting off. So so what was that like getting back? This is the best picking, part of my talk. Picking Yay. up pieces. This is the best part. Look, there's a song by um a, a black group from the from the 70s called the Average White Band. Average White Band. This song is called Picking Up the Pieces, but it's fly. It's like an instrumental. And okay. I've been jamming off of that. But it's 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 like I don't it's no words to it, but get, write it down. Average white band, pick up the pieces. But the beat is just like I'm pretty sure I have that in my yeah. playlist. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm pretty sure I have that in my playlist. Picking up the pieces. So like this is a this is this is a great question that you asked, Jason, and the fact that um a lot of people don't understand early recovery. And I'm not a person that's been in recovery for like 30 or 20 years. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I've, I've been in recovery for 11 years, but that's that's a decade in a year, right? That's a long so time. I have some experience in what I went through, but I know that there is a phase that you go through when you first get clean. And it's called the pink cloud phase. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, hell yeah. So, like, the pink cloud moment is when you get off the drug, right? And you go through the physical part. You'd be like, oh, my God, I'm off the drug. Like, you'd be happy. You'd be like, oh, I'm off the drug. I want to help everybody. I love the world. I love everybody. <laughs> and then time starts going by, and you realize that you have to live life without the drug. Right. That's the real reality. Yeah, shit it's, not, real. it's not actually getting off the drug. It is living life without that drug. And for me, it was waking up every day and eating breakfast and popping eight pills or six or seven to get through my morning and go to work. So I just like when I when I got off the opioids and I, I got I was going, I went through that pink cloud phase real heavy. Like for me, I was like, I was happy as hell. I right. was like, Going tell everybody my story. I was like, "Hey, how are you?" And people said, "Man, I was crazy as shit." <laughs> <laughs> Dude, when I was in early recovery, I can remember I was about a I was about a year, I think, clean at this time. And one of my home groups was a Wednesday night meeting. Uh, there was this guy, one of the guys that was one of the guys that created that meeting, and it was like a thirty-year-old meeting. His name was Don. He just fucking like got on my case for some reason that night, and he was telling me like. You just wait. You just wait because one day that pink cloud's gonna wear off. And he's like, I don't know how the fuck you're still on it. What? But life, but life's gonna come back at you. And I'm like, dude, life's already been coming back at me. We kind of got in an argument because well, because he was just like commenting on the fact that I was so negative. So, like, really? That, that I seem so positive still, even you know, a year in. And I was like, geez, what the fuck? He was an ornery old dude. But yeah, I was like. 
this ain't no pink cloud, dude. I'm like, I'm actually still happy because I'm doing all the work that I need to do to maintain that, you know, stay on my spiritual being, bro. Right. You know? I mean, it's not like in that year, life didn't come at me at all. You know what I'm saying? Like it came at me plenty, dude. I, I was still, I'm still to the, this day walking through some of the consequences of my addiction. You know what I mean? Wow. So, but I, I mean, Whoa. I was just this moment and you reminded me of it because he was getting on my case about the pink cloud. Like I never heard of it. Um, and, uh, I mean, but, but, but Jay, a lot of people never heard of the pink cloud. Like a lot, I had to Google it because somebody told me about it. Yeah. You know, after like five years of recovery. So I was like, when I first got clean, I was happy as shit. I was just helping everybody. I was jumping. I was on everybody's bandwagon. Then I realized that everybody's intentions wasn't, wasn't like for your best yeah. interest. Right. So I was like, let me fall back. And then I started realizing the recovery community, how everybody's like rat on a rat, a hamster wheel. Mm. Everybody's like this. I want to be this. I want to do that. Everybody's just. Comp it's competition in the in recovery industry. And I don't want to be no part of that. I have no desire to compete with nobody because I realized that at the end of the day, I had a woman attack me on social media because she heard me speak about something um, saying that there wasn't um, some coverage for Narcan in a certain part of a city that she is boosting whatever she does. So she attacked me because she thought that I was trying to put her down for what the work she's doing there. I said, listen, boo, it's, we need a lot more people. You're just one person, okay? And once we all realize that we all are better working together, it will yeah. be better. But the recovery community is worse in the music industry. I didn't even realize that, so I realized that, okay, everybody's like this. They're like, they like on a hamster wheel, everybody like this. Uh, I want to be better than this person. This person didn't doing this, so I'm going to try to do that. Or I'm not telling her this. I'm not, I'm not putting her on because I know I can do this. Like It's so much bullshit with the recovery community. I'm not with none of that. I'm not competing with nobody. Guess what? I'm in my own lane at the oh, end yeah. of the day. I don't care. I'm in my own lane. So I just realized the, the pink cloud phase, it made me feel happy as shit. And so I realized that I had to deal with life on life's terms. I had to wake up. I had to get my, I'm still working on so many things right now. I'm, my life is in shambles. It's not great. My credit score, I'm not going to get into that. That's, this is horrible. I'm trying to get a house. I've never owned a home. Like, only thing I've ever really owned and paid off is cars. So mm. I'm trying to get my life back in order and it's still in shambles. And I feel like my support system is like the foundation is like this. It's wrinkly. Yeah. It's not a strong foundation where I could be like, okay, I can survive up here. My, my foundation is rocky as shit. So oh. I realized that. And I realized that at the end of the day, I got to fight for myself and I got to keep it moving because I'm, I'm the only person that got my back at the end of the day. Wow. Period. That pink cloud shit do it do it do wear out then when you realize you got real life stuff. People got to mm -hmm. get their kids back. You got to get their homes back. You got to get off probation. You got to go. You can see your PO. It's a lot more shit attached once right. you get off the road. No, I I can relate to everything period. you just said. I'm looking for period. <laughs> I'm looking <laughs> for. I said period. Uh, no, yes. I'm like I'm actually looking at homes for the first time in my life right now really? i've never owned yeah i know i saw a post that you was doing i've when never you was owned a home or something were you and you and your girlfriend yeah and i i like having i i got like you know approval for a loan you know but it's not a lot so the it's just really slim pickings out there but 
I I just relate a lot to exactly everything you just said when it comes right. to trying to fix the credit, trying to fix the finances, trying yep. to get out on your own, um, which is something like my entire life. I didn't think that was going to be part of my story or could be because I came up, you know, poor and, and I've always fucked everything off, you know, my right. entire life. So Me too. I just want you to know that like you, you're telling my story when you just kind of went on that little tangent about that, you know, it just from a little bit that you, you disclosed, it's like, I, I feel you girl. And, and yeah, I'm here for you if you ever want to talk about it's it, but rough, yeah. it's rough. Like, you know what I, you know what I feel, Jake? I feel like, I feel like people don't understand. Like I'm going through something. And I posted a post yesterday saying that I wasn't happy in my life. I'm not, I'm not, I feel like I could, I could be doing more. And like I said, if you're starting from a foundation that's not like solid on stilts, you can't build on top of that. You can't you can't keep creating build buildings on top of something that's got a rocky foundation. That's just going to collapse, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I realized that all I got is me. At the end of the day, and I just feel like people in recovery, we we have to. This is my advice for anybody in recovery, regardless of what your pathway to recovery is. At the end of the day, if it's a spiritual pathway, you cannot absolutely expect people to sit up here. This is where your level, if, you, if your level of faith sits here, right, Jay? Because we're spiritual people. If your level of faith is right here, you can't look at somebody that's faith is right here and be like, listen, do this, do that. And then blah, blah, blah. listen, faith is built upon experiences in life that we deal with individual personal stuff. Whatever you went through with God, whatever he brought you through or delivered you from, that's where your faith lies. So basically, you might need to go through more stuff to get on a higher level of faith. And right. you can't look at somebody and be like, I'm up here. This is where you need to be. I don't want, I don't want to talk to people like that no more because I realize that my mental health is at stake right now. Period. Mm -hmm. And nobody understands that. People are going to be like, oh, she's, she looks beautiful. She's singing. She's modeling and walking in her videos. None of that means nothing because I'm not happy in my life. And that is what it is. Right. Understand that. Like, it's just crazy. It is. But you know, it's, it's, it's part girl. of the journey. It's part of the journey. And we're always going to be works in progress. I would, I would challenge you to, to think about it like this, because you, the whole goal in, in life, in recovery, whatever, is to be in a place where what you have right now is enough. You should right. be grateful for what you have and where you are, no matter where you are. And you may not feel that right now. Right. But right. I guarantee you, girl, if you sit right now and you just try to, well, you know, make like a great start thinking of like listing off shit you're grateful for, you're going to be like, damn, like I got a lot to be grateful for. And then you'll start feeling that gratitude. It's just, I think well, it's so yeah. easy to get caught up in focusing on the, the what problems. You yeah, right. or or just like what's going wrong, what I don't have. Yeah. Right. Uh so it's good to just be intentional about trying to find your gratitude. You're right. Uh, because girl, You're you so right. you do have a lot to be grateful for. And you are a blessing. It means everything. Like to to wake up every day. Like, like I, I had my day yesterday and I had over a hundred people reach out to me and be like giving me Damn. encouraging words. And it's okay because 
Sometimes you need you need to hear stuff. You need positive. Everybody needs positive reinforcement sometimes. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So I I I embraced every person that came out and gave me a positive word of encouragement yesterday because I just feel like my foundation ain't strong enough and I'm falling. I'm I'm like I feel like I'm by myself right now. But at the end of the day, what you're saying about the gratitude, I woke up this morning with a fresh face and I was like, mm. I took a deep breath. I got on my hands and knees. I prayed and I said, this today when I woke up, I looked out my window and I said, this looked just like a day when I was waking up over the toilet and trying to find a doctor to fill my script or refill to go through because it was the weekend. Mm-hmm. So I had to try to find a, a pharmacy that was open to re- give me an early refill. So I, I had to thank God every day because guess what? At the end of the day, I'm sober. Like I'm not chasing pills and opioids and I'm not shooting up heroin. And right. I, I never relapsed. So I thank God every day for that. That's a gift from God. And and like you said, the attitude of gratitude is everything. Mm-hmm. I do um, appreciate that. Yeah, but Gratitude absolutely. is everything. It will keep you grounded. And, and one other thing, you know, thinking about your foundation, right. And you feel like Mm -hmm. it's rocky right now. Like it's not stable. Right. Now I, I would say not to be preachy or nothing, but Jesus is the rock. Yes. He is the rock. You need to focus, right? Like right here, girl, like uh, right in front of me, I got this foundation. I got this huge canvas painting and it's like of this storm, you know, and Jesus is walking on the water in the middle of this insane storm on this painting right right, right in front of me. And Peter's down in the water holding Jesus hand, looking up and I'm scared as hell. That picture is there. I bought that to remind me when I'm getting overwhelmed with life, when I'm feeling like you're feeling, when I'm feeling out of control that it reminds me where I need to re- readjust my focus, man, because if my focus yes. is on God and I'm trying to invite him into the situation of men, he's right. going to adjust my attitude. And yes. so your foundation is fine. You just, foundation, I got to change. You're right. I gotta, your mind, I gotta, your mind is fucking with you right now. Yeah. My, my mind is because like you said, what you say is valuable. And, um, you know, Carly, Carly Summers, you know we just love her, right? Mm-hmm. Carly Carl, I love her. Like she, tomorrow morning I'm going to post the conversation that we had, right? She said some stuff to me that I was over ugly crying. Like she, we had a breakthrough <laughs> yesterday. That's I mean, awesome. you, know, you know what Oprah ugly crying looks like? Yeah. <laughs> what does it look like? Man? It's not running down. <laughs> oh yeah, drooling. Oh dude. <laughs> I used to my my uh, second wife, dude. You was like, yes. So you my, know, my second wife would cry like that a couple times, and I literally would be like letting her use my sleeve like the first Shut time, up. and then I just take my damn shirt off. I'd be like, here, girl, just have it, and she'd be like drenching it in the snot. <laughs> when you just cry, you cry out. You just like, like me yeah. and Cardi, like she didn't see that, but she we were inboxing for a long time last night. Good. And she was just like, she was like, Queen, adjust your crown because your calling is on a level that a lot of people ain't on. And she was just like, you overcame something that nobody's talking about. You went dead from opioids. Yeah. Like nobody is out here saying this is, you know, 
a woman at age 50. That's why that's why I sent you the split the split screens, Jason, because yeah. people look at me now. I'm a I'm a model, I'm a former model, so I'm gonna always be glammed up. And she does not look day, 50, you guys. She does not look so fabulous. 50. That's just me. But the, <laughs> the split screens show me at 97 pounds. You hear me? Yeah. Yeah. 97 pounds. Like I was look like you could see the bones in my neck. So I overcame that. And I thank God every day that Jesus Christ was my higher being. Like, I don't, I, there's no other person that got me through that. It wasn't a man-made situation. Yeah. So I'm glad that we had this, this meeting. Cause hell yeah. And we ain't done yet, girl. Cause now, we're, cause now, cause now <laughs> we're going to start to dig in a little bit into okay. all, all some of these really key reasons that you should be and have to be daily grateful. Um, so you, you know, cause we're going to start talking about your advocacy and I want to kind of try to rattle through these um, different things because you said that you're connected with a lot. So, um, you know, just talk about like maybe when you first felt uh, led into any kind of advocacy and and then try to share with us what what organizations you advocated with, how you know what they're about like, and, and yeah, because we want to know all about like Shatterproof and the Recovery Advocacy Project and, and your Narcan distribution and all that stuff. Right. So, um, uh, I'm going to say I got clean in 2010. Right. And, um, right after, right after I went through the pink cloud phase, my advocacy started right after that. Like I basically, was meeting people on the streets and giving out all the stuff from my cabinets. Like, do you understand when you want opioids and heroin, you eat a lot of crazy foods? <laughs> yeah. Did you go through that? Oh, like, yeah. I had a freezer full of Reader's Water Ice. Listen, <coughs> have you heard of Reader's? I know you in Minnesota. Do you ever have you ever heard of Reader's Water Ice? Reader's what? Reader's Water Ice. It's like a. Oh, you never heard of it, then? No, no. <laughs> Where you from before Minnesota, Jason? <laughs> Nowhere. This is it. Okay. So, all right. So, Google Reader's Water Ice, but it's like a <laughs> fruity, slushy thing that you eat, and it got real fruit in it. Okay. So, <clears throat> I was so obsessed with that, that I was going to Reader's, it's, it's only a seasonal place, so it's only open in, like, the summertime and the spring. But mm-hmm. they had some places in the malls that w- was open in the winter. So I was I was a mess. Like, I'm going I'm to post a post tomorrow morning. I'm going to tag you in it. My whole freezer was Rita's Water Ice. <laughs> and I was a hot mess. It's all sugar. Because, you know, when you're going through opioid addiction, you eat crazy. Like, I was eating fruity pebbles. And, and I don't even eat that no. stuff. Like, I'm, I'm eating Wheaties like an old lady now. But I basically started giving all that food out. Okay. My advocacy started when I first went to the pink cloud phase. I woke up one day and when my mom nursed me back to health, I was like, all right, I'm good. I got off the couch. I went to Walmart. I made my first trip to Walmart after a month of being on my couch. Okay. I went in there and I was like, okay, I'm getting my Gatorade. I was drinking my Gatorade. That's what got my electrolytes um, back to normal. And then I went in my kitchen and I was like, what is this? Like, I looked at my cabinets. I was like, oh my God. I had like 10 boxes of cereal unopened. I had all this uh, cakes and cookies and all this crazy stuff. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I got to figure this out. So one day I was walking down the street. I was driving to the market and I seen this young woman with a stroller with these all these little kids. 
And she was going to the market and she was like using a food stamp card to buy her groceries. I was like, hey, do you need some stuff? Do you need food for your kids? She was like, kid, what you got? I was like, stay right here. Man, look, I went home, got a, a trash bag, filled up all my cabinets with all the mess and gave it to her. Hell That's yeah. when I realized that I had a purpose because I was just like, all right, I don't want this stuff no more. I got it. When you get off, when you get off the drug, you just want more. You Things are not the same. You don't want the relationship. You don't want none of the same stuff. So I just realized that that was when my advocacy started. And then <clears throat> I met a woman at the hospital. I met a woman at a hospital, um, university hospital in Newark, New Jersey. And um, she was like on the elevator with me and she had all this equipment on her. She's like a reporter. So I was like, hey, do you want to hear my story? She's like, what? And she was like really nasty. So I was like, I got a story. Like, I mean, I'm here because I'm about to get cochlear implants. She's like, what? So I was like, I went dead from opioids. She was like, what? She was just really nasty. So I was like, can I talk to you for five minutes? Her name is Kat OB. That's what I call her. I'm not giving her a whole name. Uh-huh. Her name is Kat OB. We are, we are best friends now. But she's wow. a medical reporter, retired from um, NewJersey.com, which is a star ledger, a newspaper, a, a big newspaper in New Jersey. But she covered my story and mm. in um, 2014, and she was like, okay, what? Wow. You went deaf from them? Talk about God, put, God putting you in a position, right? I was on the elevator with this mean lady, and she didn't want to hear nothing I had to say. And I was like, I was like, please listen to me. I was like, I'm, 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 I'm here for a tuning. And like, I'm deaf. I went deaf from painkillers. She was like, what? She was like, what are you saying? <laughs> so I was like, can I talk to you some more? So I was like, can I give you my card? She's like, no, no, no. So I'll, I'll, I'll get off. I'll talk to you for a minute. She was mean as hell to me. But guess <laughs> what? We are best friends. She helped me write my book. She's on the back of my book blurb. That's so she crazy. She became a pivotal part of my life. Tell and me that ain't God. She, Tell me that ain't God. Look, she's a medical reporter. And Kat OB basically was like, she was like, Kay, I'm so sorry what happened to you. I'm so sorry the system failed you. She was like, I'm retired now and I wish I could do more for you because I feel like, um, like she was talking about the dope sick stuff before dope sick came out. Right. <clears throat> she was like, my doctor prescribed you this for eight years. She was like, that's unethical. Yeah. So me and Kat, we were great friends and I love like her to this death. now. <laughs> and she she's the person that when she covered my story, she called me on the phone. She was like, Shakesha, um, go to stores. Your, 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 your story made front page. I was like, what? Front page or what? She was like, you're gonna be on the front page of the store. And I was like, oh my God, like really? <laughs> 2014, I became a public figure. That That's was where it, it started. That's when I became a public figure, 2014. That's amazing. The Star Ledger, the, the, the medical reporter that's retired that I met on the elevator at the hospital where I got my surgery from. My advocacy started right there. Dude, that's all God. Yep. That's that is all God. You just never know who you're talking God to. Makes all things possible. You never know who you're talking does. to. Yep. Everything wow. is about timing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's insane. Isn't so that crazy? Cool. I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. I know. Nuts. So you didn't even know that. No, I didn't know that. I read your book. You read my book. What do you think about my book, Jay? 
I liked it a lot. It was very quick. It was a quick read. It wasn't a, it's, it's not a real big book, but it's it's from the heart and you talk about you know what happened and what it was like and what it's like now, you know, and I, I like that at the end of it, you know, you're clearly like you're not done, you know, you you got your contact info and like the things that you're involved with in there and how people can reach you if they want you to speak and stuff. So you're clearly like putting out there at the end of it that you want to continue to give back. You want to help, you know, and that's, that's what it's all about. Right. Like I always tell people, man, when they try to like put me on some kind of pedestal, I'm like, Hey, look, we ain't shit. Like me and Charles, don't get me wrong. We're pretty cool, but we ain't shit. You know, we're just, two dudes in recovery, man. And right, we just in recovery. the reason this podcast is cool is because of people like you that come on here and share your story and I can learn from, and y'all help me stay clean another day. And I always learn something new from every single guest that's on the show. You know, like this being a part of this podcast is, does far more for me than it does for anybody else. And for me too, because guess what? It's not even about us. Right. It's That's what I'm saying. Us. We ain't shit. It's not about <laughs> us. It's about, it's about people that are suffering in silence. Like I was a person that suffered with substance use disorder for a decade and nobody, yeah. not my closest people didn't even know what I was going through. Right. So I overcame that. And I feel <laughs> like even right now, <clears throat> my life is not in the greatest position. And I'm feeling like kind of like not stable mentally. But at the end of the day, I'm not giving up and no. I'm not on this level where I'm trying to give up. But I just feel like sometimes we just need more support, you know, and, I, you know, at the end of the day, I just feel like I've come so far. But this is what I want to tell people in recovery. Share the recovery theirs. Share them. Like I, I've, I have done, I've spoken at hundreds of students at colleges and high schools all over the, all over and I tell the kids, I'd be like, recovery is like an onion, right? And the day I was cooking with an onion, but as I was peeling each layer, I was just like thinking about my life. Mm. Each layer is like, it's something like what I went through in two months, what I went through in uh, six months, what I went through in eight months, what I went through in six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, is something I could share to help somebody else get through that moment. Right. Because somebody else might be going through that. That's why I don't believe in. Yeah. Talk about this. No, 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 no. I'm not that person. Well, I'm glad you're not. I'm so, not. <laughs> so you were talking about Shatterproof. You said you're a Shatterproof ambassador. What is Shatterproof? So Shatterproof is an organization with Lynn. Um, the woman name is Lynn that I work with. And I have been an ambassador for her for a few years. We do all different types of things. I'm, I'm working with Lynn right now on some stuff that we're working, working with. But we basically are all about breaking stigmas because I think that there are people that's been clean since the 70s. Mm-hmm. And their terminology looks like this. Addict, dope fiend, dope head, crackhead, crack addict, pill person, like a lot of people, because there wasn't there wasn't any stigmas that was looked at back then. Right. So that was the only terminology that they had to use. So some people are still on that, stuck on that. Yeah. But that that terminology is preventing people from getting help and really wanting to come forward and say, hey, 
Um, because the black community is the biggest stigmatized people I know. The black communities, we are the most disadvantaged and stigmatized. And people are even mental health in the black communities like this. Like right now, I'm going to see a counselor this week. I'm going to make an appointment to talk to someone about my mental health this week, right? Mm-hmm. I'm saying that on here because a lot of people, even black, a lot of black folks just look at it like, oh, you know, uh, you're crazy, you're 302, you're th- you know. People have to, to change the language of things. It's okay to be mentally challenged because a lot of people are doing a lot of things that people saw the signs for and they'd be like, oh, well, uh, I didn't see that coming. You did. You saw it. You just couldn't acknowledge it. You didn't recognize right. it. Right. So at the end of the day, I don't believe in stigmas, but with Shatterproof, we we talk about shattering stigmas, breaking stigmas. And we, we, we use words like opioid use disorder which is what I had because I was on opioids that were prescribed to me by a doctor. So I was on an opioid. Opioid use disorder is the term I use or substance use disorder, not substance abuse disorder. Because if you're using substance abuse disorder, you're still stigmatizing it. Period. Addiction is a disease. And that is it. That is my my take on that. If you don't agree with it, that is fine. But that's my opinion. Right. That's so what like I focus on do. like recovery language. Every oh. language is everything. It, it's going to make people feel like, okay, um, I don't want to get help. Like I'm a mom, like I'm a, I'm a soccer mom. My kids are in either of these schools and we live in the suburbs and um, I'm taking my son's Adderall for his um, ADHD and I'm on um, Percocets. And it's a lot of stuff going on. In, in these in these suburban communities that's not being looked at the same, but the stigmas is what make people feel like they too good to want to talk to somebody about that. Or or Period. just that they're fearful because they they're worried about what people will think instead of realizing that this is stuff that everybody everywhere, no matter right. where they're from or you know how successful or poor or whatever they are, deals with right. you know everywhere. Uh, people actually want to help you and there's a lot of help out there for you. So yeah, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking that, you know, you're stuck in that situation where you can't speak out or, or be open or, or reach out for help, like bullshit. Yes, you can. Yes. yes you there's can. so many people that can help. It's totally. so, it's so many resources, <clears throat> the resources that are out today. I did not have none of that. Right. I didn't have um access to Suboxone. I didn't, I had Medicaid. I was on welfare. I had the, I had, I was on the ground literally like with nothing. Right. So I didn't really have nothing. So like, I feel like now, you know, if, if you have the proper support, you, if you have the proper support and all that stuff that with the resources available, it could, it could work for you. I just, I feel like you can't do it by yourself. Period. It's um, getting through your recovery and all that. It's something that you have to have that support. You cannot do it alone. Period. Right. It's not. No, it's not something you can come out of by yourself. It, it just won't happen. Right. Need community. Need to give back. You know. You got to fill <laughs> yeah. your cup, and then you got to pour your cup out onto others. That's what I always tell people. You know. You got to send that ladder back up. You got to keep your cup filled <laughs> so that you can keep pouring that extra love onto other people. And right. And you'll be all good, you know. Um, so you you do the shatterproof. You you also said that you distribute Narcan. Right? Yes. So um, want to talk about that a little bit. I have all these wonderful people on my Facebook 
that I am friends with that are harm reductionists and they are like masters of it. So like, I'm not a master of harm reduction, but I'm learning harm reduction. But the people I'm working with have, have sent me out Narcan in cases and I've only paid for the shipping. So wow. I, I know a guy from Philadelphia, his name is Jeff Brown. <clears throat> Jeff Brown owns 12 supermarkets called ShopRites. He owns um, 10 ShopRites and two fresh grocers. He basically, um, his, his supermarkets are all in different parts of Philadelphia. They're in the inner cities, in the worst pits part, hit, hit parts of the opioid crisis. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I hooked up with Jeff Brown and he agreed to allow me to come into his stores to sell my book, right? So I first started going into the stores to sell A Life of Chaos, my opioid journey through Hell, Hope, and Healing, the name of my book. Yeah. But um, I realized after the first store I went in, um, people were walking up to me in tears like, my son, I lost my son. My husband, he has prostate cancer. He's addicted to opioids and fentanyl. And mm. I just realized that when I walk into this venture with Brown ShopRite stores, that it wasn't about selling a book. Right. So I put that aside. Well, I you let, know, I, I, I let my book be an option. Like, like you want to, you went there initially, you're trying to like get your story out there to give people hope, but then you're realizing that there's other needs that maybe need to be met first. Like right. they need to have prevention tools available to them in their home that can save the freaking person's life. So that because yes. dead people can't recover. Yeah, right. Right. Dead people cannot recover. So when I walked into this relationship with the Brown Shop Right Corporation, I I did I did, I have four stores left to do that I plan to do before the end of 2021 because that was my goal awesome. to get through. So I did 10, I did, I did almost um 14 stores. I mean, damn. I can't count. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so I've almost done the stores, but my point is this. At these stores, there has been some connections made that I was like crying and just, you know, give it loaning my faith to people. You can loan faith to people. You can't expect people to be on your level of faith from things, from what whatever. But you can say, here, let me touch you and give you some energy. Because I do mm -hmm. have, I have some powerful energy. I really do. I can just touch you and you're going to jump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave that alone. Cause you know, like, I'm a dirty bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but just like kidding. at the end of the day, I just realized that at these stores, I have met hundreds of people. I have clipboards of people I'm following up with right now. Awesome. Hundreds of people I met. I have given out over 70 boxes of Narcan. Wow. I've given out fentanyl test strips. I have met people that um, realized that they relapsed, right? But they didn't want to overdose because of the fentanyl. But they still wanted to get high to function. Right. Listen, this shit is real out here. I know people that are relapsing and overdosing, and it's just so, so much. Like, I just, I just want to be around people that respect mental health on the level it is in this era. Because it's not like the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or even the early 2000s. The stuff that this this community, our communities are dealing with is not on the same level of what we was dealing with 10, 20, or 30 years ago. And right. people are just so easy to downgrade it, like, all right, just pray. 
you'll be all right. No, 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 no. Just seek professional help. Yeah. You can't just tell everybody to pray. You can't do that. Right. And then once you start getting better, get, and then once you start getting better, get out there and start showing people how you did it. You know, like you don't tell them this is what you have to do. You just tell them, hey, I struggled with that. And this is and what I and this is what I did. It. Right. Right. Like this is how my journey looked. And, you know, sometimes because it's like that, you know, people have the light bulb go off and then think that they came up with the idea of what they're going to do to get better. But if you tell them what to do, they're going to be like, man, because they don't want to be told that you you have to you can't enforce your stuff on other people. You have to tell them what works for you may not work for them, but they may. These these are other options available for you to pick from. Yeah. And you're just relating. You're just relating. You know, you're just letting them know that you understand. This is why. And uh, this is what my life is like now. And then they're like, man, if you can do it, dude then I can do it. <laughs> There's so many people out here struggling, relapsing from so many things. And sometimes relapse is, is part of some people's processes. Sometimes right. that's part of your process. I'm not saying that, you know, people that relapse are like, oh my God. So some many people relapse, they be like, they don't want, they don't have, they, don't, they feel so guilty. They don't want to talk about it. But at the end of the day, listen, we all going through so much. I'm dealing with my own mental health right now. I'm saying that yeah. again. My mental health is at stake because I'm dealing with a lot of stuff right now. Right. That is why I have a shut off switch, Jason. That switch is a light switch. It's like this. If you're yeah. saying something that don't resonate with me, the light goes off. Bye-bye. Okay? If you're giving me good energy and you're bringing in something, hi, the light's back on. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's how I move right now. Well, that's good. I don't want to hear no negativity. I'm, taking, I'm not taking no negativity right now. Amen. And you shouldn't have to. You're not obligated to, you know? We right. used to deal with a whole lot of mess that wasn't ours to deal with, but we deal with it anyway because we didn't know that we had a choice, you know? You're right. We have or a choice. Maybe, or maybe we thought yeah. that we d- didn't deserve nothing better than that kind of thing. And it's all, that's all lies, you know? It's, you're right. It's, once you learn your own worth, you stop giving other people discounts. Yes. Once you learn your worth, you stop giving people discounts. You realize, hey, look, I am this worth. I put in this much work. I came from this. If you don't respect that. Bye-bye. <laughs> if you don't respect that, deuces. Amen. Period. Exactly. I've been through a lot. Like, I, I just feel like, like you said something, the most powerful thing you said to me to reinforce my, my brain today in this podcast, Jason, was that I was talking about my foundation being rocky. But guess what? It's not. Because God is the foundation of that foundation yeah. that was provided for me to right. get to where I am today. That's so right. I don't ever forget that. Don't. Because you know what the thing is, <laughs> is like I said, we can get so focused on the problems uh, that we lose sight of the solution. And we, yes. we like, I'm an addict. I make sense out of nonsense. I start believing some crazy stuff because my mind will tell me a lot of crazy stuff. Yes, your mind be playing tricks. You'd be like, so I just, I just need to like invite God in and he'll be like, nope, rebuke that. Get it out of here. And then here I am. I'm feeling pretty good. My mom said, rebuke the devil. (laughs) I've been thinking you. That's right. My mom just said it all the time. (laughs) So is there any other uh, things or uh, organizations that you advocate with that you wanted to mention? 
Yes. So, Jason, we are a part of Mobilize Recovery. Yes. Which is a subsidiary of Recovery Advocacy Project, which is a statewide initiative where we work with, um, we learn how to work with politicians and people in, in Congress. And we, we just learn how to work together to combat the opioid crisis. That's the lamest terms. Right. But you, you are a state lead for what state? I mean, you are what state? I just joined the Minnesota chapter of the Recovery Advocacy Project. So, this, so you're a Minnesota um, Mo, um, recovery. Yep. So did you have your first meeting with Mobilize Recovery for Minnesota yet? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I did the orientation. Now, this Wednesday is our next wrap meeting. And we're going to um, we're going to be doing a community listening session early December. Right. Yeah. And then so we'll be forming our platform after that. But yeah, it can be on the legislative level, as you mentioned, or it can be on the grassroots level, you know, in the community boots on the ground. You know, it could be nar- yeah, distributing nar- Narcan or it could be, you know, distributing Narcan or or yep. throwing uh, fundraising events to help, um, you know, bolster a certain uh, you know, bill or something that you want to get passed that's going to help people that are in recovery, whatever it might be. There's obviously the options are endless. And that's why we, like you said, we talk to the community and we're going to find out from the community what they want. You know, we're not going to be like, oh, I'm, God, I'm the puppet master and I'm going to decide what my community needs. No. Right. How it's do you find out? Us. How do you find that out? You ask the community, you get the input and then you do what they want. You do what they want. So, yeah, I'm excited to be a part of a recovery advocacy project and what's going to happen moving forward here in Minnesota. But how long have you been involved with it? What's that? Are you working with Randy? Yeah, he's our lead. But nobody's the leader in the. Yeah. Like we're all equals. That's what it said in the orientation. I know that I'm I'm a part of Mobilize Recovery since 2019. So I was a part of Mobilize Recovery the first year it came out when it when it had state leads. That was the terminology they used for the state leads. But now everybody's the same. Everybody's worked together. Right. But Randy Anderson is a great guy. I love you, Randy. He's on his way back from Costa Rica. Rica. He's been there for a week. Yeah. So hey Randy, shout out to you. Yeah. And so he's a great guy. He's a mentor to me and he's been friends. We've been friends since 2019. I met him at Mobilize Recovery 2019. Same. So I've, I've known, I've known him for a few, yeah, I've known him for a few years and he's been one of the guys that I've really looked up to and watched I his love journey Randy so much. He's good dude. Um, but yep. yeah, so Reco- but in your state and you you said you're part of recovery advocacy project in your state, right? So Heather Ogden is, is, Heather Ogden is like our our lead, but we don't have leads. But you know, Heather Ogden is, is the big part of, of our circle for New Jersey. And then we got Sheila Powell, because I met Sheila Powell. Sheila, where you at? Get on here now on your blocks. <laughs> Sheila Powell, you know Sheila Powell, right? Don't we just love her? I don't know if I know her. Or like, not. You met Sheila Powell and Mobilize Recovery. We was in pictures together. She got oh, okay. red hair, <laughs> and she is a badass. <laughs> right on, good. And so we got a lot of good people in New Jersey that are part of Mobilize Recovery, Recovery FC Project. And me, I, you know me, I spit fire. I've already worked with a lot of congressional people here, Andy Kim, um, the Senator Tory Singleton. Um, I've worked with a lot of people in, in, New, in New Jersey um, thus far, but we just have to figure out it's more stuff that we need to do. We have to we have to really step our games up because it's three years from mobilize recovery now. And last year 
we did it virtually, but this year we were back in person. So I'm ready for whatever. Yeah. Well, I'll pray for you guys and your uh, efforts over there in New Jersey. Yeah, New um, Jersey is crazy. Yeah. So I got these rapid fire questions that we close every interview with. Okay. You down? So we're closing now. We're going to, he's going to ask me some questions to close with. Yeah, but it's, they're open ended. So this ain't going to be like we're going to be done. I know. In three minutes. It's okay. I'm live on Facebook. So it's hell cool. yeah. All right. Let's do this rapid fire. Number one, what? Because we think that recovery, like, need you need to have some things you do on a daily basis as a routine that help you have a sustainable and a really like positive recovery. So, what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? Okay. So, I didn't follow a, tra- a traditional way of my pathway. So, I can't say that I'm going to 12 step meetings or that I have a sponsor or that, you know, anything like that. But I think what works for me is um, prayer, scriptures. I have so many, I have a lot of financial, I mean, not financial. My money is kind of messed up. That's why I put that up. I have a lot of spiritual advisors that um, I have that I talk to. And get that give me direction about things. And also, I am talking to someone about my mental health because I feel like um, I think the biggest struggle that I'm dealing with right now is I'm struggling hard through a lot of things. And it seemed like when I was in my active addiction, I had more, I had more money, I had all these different things when I was in my active addiction. But it seemed like now I'm struggling. It's, it's, it's like I'm working hard from the muscle. I'm, I'm starting from the bottom up. So I think that having a good mental, um, taking care of your mental health and and um, having people around you that are positive and also social media can be a big, big damper from things. Like social media is, is, is not really, people really be looking like social media is, is this and that. But I think that it, if you're somebody in recovery, you can't look at what people are doing with social media because my life looks great on social media, but it's not. It's not, it's nowhere near like me walking down the runway and all of that. I don't have normalcy. My life is not normal. So we have to take care of our mental health first. But for me, I think that um, I, I haven't found a, another church since my dad passed away. Mm. Since my dad was a bishop, I haven't found a church that I'm comfortable even worshiping at right now. So I do a lot of online. And, huh? it's been, and it's been four years. It's, yeah, my dad passed away in 2017, and, and he passed away in this time of year, four days before my birthday, three days before my birthday. So it's just this time of year for me is it's not it's not a happy time, and um, I need people around me to understand that you have to you have to be you have to handpick the people you deal with in recovery, and you gotta like you're gonna be lonely in recovery. You're gonna be lonely. You're gonna be lonely in recovery because. You don't have to cut a lot of people off. And that just is what it is. A lot of fake people, a lot of people that want to be in your business that don't really care about what your mental health is. But you just got to learn how to discern people and, and just go flow it. Go in your own flow. Amen. That's my advice for people in recovery. I'm not in no NA or no um, Narcotics Anonymous or anything like that. But, you know, um, I didn't get clean that way. So, right. 
And that's all right. Cause this, not, that's not even what we're talking about. You know, daily, daily routines daily is, is like you're we're saying, you know, yeah, right. you're saying, find your good, find your people, have good people find that support people. you, Yes, that you, that you reach out to. And that's good. You know, find that's good. Your people. Yep. I love how you said that. Find your people. It find takes people. time. It takes time to find those people, takes, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and, and as Heather, as Heather Ogden would say, find your tribe. Yeah, exactly. Find your tribe. Like, it's not like you want to go into your recovery and be like, oh my God, all these people love me. And I got all these great people. Listen, like, like we just talked about with people in the bathroom trying to give you narcotics when you in a, in, in a meeting. So it's, you're not going to find your tribe right away. You just have to be discerning and you just got to like learn who was yep. who. And I'm a, I'm a woman of God. At the end of the day, I do curse. I'm not perfect. I don't do everything I'm supposed to be doing that's right. But I do know that I'm a child of God. Same. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I'm a child of God. And I'm not even perfect. But he don't yeah. even use people all the time that's perfect. People, people that have higher callings are not people that are sitting on a church pew or in a, in a in a pulpit, it's people that regular day, people with real life experience. Period. People with real life experience have higher callings. Absolutely. I always tell people: the more broken you are, the more valuable you are in recovery. Yes. The the, the more the more you go through, the more, the more you got to deal with. The and then more, the more that the you more can that help. You go through, the more the you can help. Calling. Yeah, because you can relate to more people on more yes. levels that yep. they think really that nobody can understand. And here you are, you're like, I get it. <laughs> you know, um, like people don't even understand. Like my story, I'm a woman of color. Like I'm not even the typical um, addict looking person. Like I'm not a woman in the suburbs with a Land Rover. I used to have one, but I'm not. <laughs> this woman with great credit and a white picket fence and two dogs. You know, I'm a woman from the inner city that, you know, got prescribed the opioid and a, a doctor prescribed it to me for eight years. And he was getting kickbacks off of me the whole time. And I lost my hearing from it and couldn't even get a lawsuit because it wasn't Oxycontin. It was right. hydrocodone Lorset. And it was a statute of limitation. So I just realized that with my calling, my goal is our goal, Jason, is to keep sending that letter back up. Right. People, we got to keep sending that letter back up. Amen. That's our goal. We have to keep doing that because that's part of our callings. We went through what we went through for a reason. That's and right. we can't, you know, it is what it is. That's right. Next question. What is a book or a piece of recovery literature that has had the biggest impact on your recovery? Okay, this is going to sound kind of biased, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just I'm just speaking from my heart right now. Okay, this is not, this is nothing personal from nobody. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> the biggest piece of literature that I would think that I read was my own life story, my book that I wrote. I wrote this book in four months this year. Um, it came out in January of 2021. And I wrote it in four months. But what I went through to self-publish this book, it made me cry. I, I went to sleep crying every night. And I had to go through so much. I hired and fired people. I went through a lot to write this book. And Houston, 
I went through a lot to write this book and um, it made me cry. And when I read the final copy, um, it was only like 40 something pages, but I realized that it would touch so many lives because it was, it was supposed to be a whole book, an autobiography. It was going to be a whole book, but because of the 93,000 plus deaths we lost from opioid overdoses in 2020, I felt compelled to write this little book in layman's terms. I didn't want it political. I didn't want it to be um, big wordy. I didn't want it to be a long read. I wanted it to be something that people could read on a flight or on a bus or in a pharmacy, just a, a quick read, but I wanted it to be powerful. So for me, I, wrote, I took some, some of the stuff from my book and I put it in a small book. I, com I, I composed it into like a um, 46 page read. And I think that my book, I have sold over 500 copies of my book and that's not a lot to a lot of people, but from somebody on a grassroots level, that is a lot. Self-published a book on their own with no publicists. I mean, like I had personal friends that helped me pop it on Amazon. I didn't have the support that I, you know, that most people have from huge publishing houses and all this, but I feel like my book, it, it, it was emotional and it made me cry because it was my own life story. That That's, I'm just saying that not because it's my book, because that's how I feel. No, you know what? And that's, that's valid because just the act of writing that was therapeutic. And then to go back and read it in your own words is yes. also therapeutic. I mean, this is exactly why you hear people always harping on like the journaling thing, you know, like you should keep a journal and, and, you know, like that's a big suggestion in the recovery world because writing, right. writing is a release. It's a way to get it out of you and yes. then to take it that step further and to share that with other people and not let it sit in a box and collect dust somewhere. Um, right. Now that's turned into a way of you being of service, giving back, you know. And so, no, I think it's valid your reasons for it and the way you describe that make complete and total sense to me. So that is your you. response. Yes, ma'am. Uh, well, next question. What is the best piece of advice that you think that you've received since you began your recovery? If you had to pick one. <clears throat> okay. So I have been in recovery since 2010 and the best piece of advice that I have received since being in recovery I would say I've received so many different pieces of advice, but the most important piece I would say is that the, pe the old people, like dropping people off, cutting people off, like that's the biggest piece of advice. Cause I'm telling you, like when I was in active addiction, I had all these friends, like I had all these people that was around me and didn't really know what I was dealing with. But <clears throat> I realized that when I got clean, my brain's fog started to clear out. Right. It was like waking up early in the morning and it's all foggy and you can't really see nothing. And then you wake up and as you wake, as your eyes open, things start to clear out. The sun starts to come out and you start to see the, the full vision of the picture. That's that's what you go through from addiction because it's like a whole brain fog. Mm. You're gonna you're gonna come out that pink cloud phase. And you're going to be happy as shit. You're going to be like, oh, I love everybody. And I want to help everybody. And I want to do this. For and then you're going to be like. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yep. Cool off them. I'm cool okay. off her. Cool off them. I'm cool off her. 
no, I'm good. You just realize that. So the, the best piece of advice that I've gotten and that I have, that I'm living is cutting people off and just realizing that everybody's not out for your best interest, whatever, whatever. And I'm going to say this really quick before we go. I'm about to do um, a detox, a Facebook detox and social media detox. I'm blocking a lot of people and hanger-ons. Hang people that just like pop on your post to disagree or people that just want to like something or, you know, like, okay, since we don't talk, bye-bye. You're not missing nothing. I'm about to go. block everybody. So if you're listening now, you're about to get blocked if we don't talk. Bye-bye. <laughs> if good you're stuff. listening now and you're getting blocked after this. That's good stuff right there. Uh, next question. Yes. What is what is the greatest challenge that you've had to face in recovery? The, the greatest challenge is like so many. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. yeah I um, mean, that's what you could just right, say. So, you probably covered it already. I mean, shit, I don't know. <laughs> right. So one of, one of the biggest challenges in recovery that I've experienced is my teeth. My teeth. I'm going to say it again. In my big book, you want to read about my teeth. My teeth. I'm going to keep saying it for like two times because people <laughs> don't really understand it. My teeth. I lost teeth in my in my recovery and I got over 10 root canals in my recovery and I've been seeing dentists in my recovery and I've been going through a lot with my teeth in my recovery. In your, in, in, in your recovery, if, you, if you're in active addiction, I don't care if you're on crack, coke, whatever you're taking, go to the dentist because once your teeth start falling out, you can't save that. No, nope. You can't. It's no coming back from your teeth. The teeth is like your heart. You can get a heart transplant, maybe, if they find the right one. But if your teeth messed up and your teeth start having problems and they, they do a certain amount, listen, insurance is not paying for root canals. They're going to pull for it. They're going to pay for an extract, a distra- uh, extraction. They're going, they're going to pay to have the tooth removed before they pay for a root canal. It costs more yep. to have a tooth root canal than to have it pulled out. So they're going to be like, all right, you got to get it pulled out. And they don't want to give you partials and dentures. Some people have full mouths of dentures. Listen, I went through a lot of stuff with my teeth. I'm still fighting for my teeth right now. That's all I want to say. If you're an active addiction, regardless of what your drug of choice is, take care of your teeth. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I think that it's funny, though, because you were like a lot of people don't understand. I think you'd be surprised how many people do understand the teeth thing. I'm teeth? dealing with my teeth right now. I'm missing a gang of teeth back here and back here that I got to, I could barely even freaking eat, dude. I can only eat on one side of my mouth. And I've been going to the dentist. I've been going. What? Oh, and I'm still going. I got to, yeah, I need implants. I need to get yeah, those. The implants, that's going to, it's going to suck. It's going to, I don't even know, but it's going to suck having to pay for that. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, right now, girl, I'm like, I'm all for it. I'll I'll get it done when I can and how as much as I can at a time. Take care of your teeth. You ain't alone, you know, in that in the teeth department. (laughs) Jason, I've had over nine root canals in 10 years. Like this tooth right here in the front is a root canal. It's a cap. This is a cap on this tooth. And I got teeth on the bottom that was root canals. Like I had all these teeth that was like rotten. I was like, what? Yeah. I, I had beautiful teeth my whole life. I never, I don't understand it. Addiction really does not like 
Well, the drug it, eats it, you alive. It, the drugs eat you from the inside out. Yep, the the opioids and heroin will eat your teeth out. You will, you will go from having great teeth to no teeth. I'm talking full mouths of dentures, not even partials. Yeah. Take care of your teeth if you, whatever, take care of your teeth. Because once you start having to go through the root canals, once they be like, okay, we're not mm. going to pay 15000 for a root canal. We'll pay 500 for it and get, get it pulled out. You'll that's, see. That's why I have all these missing teeth because I just keep going. Just pull. I have missing teeth too. I'm not worried about it. Because I ain't even playing with that. I, I haven't j- pulled the trigger on one of those root canals. I just had them pull like everyone. Yeah, I haven't pulled the trigger on one root canal. Whenever they're like, root canal, I'm like, nah, pull that bitch. And then now I know I got to get implants. <laughs> but implants yeah, are still are cheaper. It, it but they're still so- cheaper than the root canals. Say it again. They're probably cheaper in the root canals. <laughs> no, 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 no. The implants is like 10000 for one tooth. Well, either way. So that's why, like, most people that have to get them, they get, like, a bridge, and they don't get all the teeth. Don't be, it'd be like a bridge connected to teeth on the side right. or on the top. So it'd be like 30000 for a whole mouth. Yeah, and I can't get the bridges. It's 20000 30000 I can't get the bridges because there's no teeth on the other side, right? I know. I got the same. Oh, my God. Same. All right. All right. Let's move on. What is the greatest success that you think that you've had in your recovery? Okay. So what is the greatest success that I've had in my recovery is um, becoming a national advocate. Like Mm. who would ever think that me, a woman, an inner city woman, a woman of color, because we don't get a lot of exposure. Okay. Black women don't get a lot of exposure for what we do in the recovery community. Sometimes we just don't get that. But I am a woman that will be 50 next month and I look 20. Like I was a woman that overcame an addiction and I did look crazy in my addiction. You'll see the pictures on Jason's page. Yeah. Um, I look crazy in my active addiction, but I overcame that and became a national advocate. So now I am the face of YouTube Recovery Voices. I gave Jason the link for that. I am, I've got over 15,000 views for that. Um, and I am um, a, a voice for all these people. I'm in, I'm in Recovery Today magazine, New Jersey's best. I'm in Recovery Today magazine two times, two years in a row. Um, big Hulk um, um, interviews about my story. Um, I have done over 30 podcasts between 2020 and this year. Um, Jason, I'm not sure what number this is, but I know it's like 30 something, but <laughs> I am the queen of podcasts. Um, I have just, I have been, I'm on a national level and I'm just, you know, a little woman. I'm still grassrooting. I'm still on the boost level, but I'm on a national level because people know who I am. People will see me and be like, oh my God, you're the woman that went deaf. And I'll be like, yes, that's me. Hi, here's my card. You know, we, you know, people that need help. Okay. Give me my card. Yeah. So like I, I feel good being that people know me in my community. I'm, I've had so many people from my community supporting me. I'm talking the banks, the, the the crown fried chickens, the hospitals, the gas stations, the stores, um, the Wawa's, the supermarkets. People know who I am. So I am happy that my biggest accomplishment is that I'm on a national level and local and all these different levels. And I'm just trying to get my voice out and, and help people in recovery. That's my that's my goal. To keep to keep my voice, keep my voice loud. And you're doing it, girl. How you doing? Thank you. 
what is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or somebody else for? So, okay. So my dad passed away in 2014, right? And what he told me in 2017 before he passed away was he said, um, you have to forgive yourself mm. when you try to help anybody. Like you can't, you can't be successful in adv- advocating for people if you're still carrying that guilt, right? right? So um, I, I feel like um, I, I'm still working on that right now. Like I, I feel like there are people I still owe money to that I borrowed money from that didn't know I was addicted that loaned me money for pills. And that was appointments. I can't even find them. Like, how do you how do you get through that guilt where people was there for you when they didn't really know they was giving the money for? And how do you find forgiveness um, to to figure that out? Because like, I'm not chasing nobody down. I don't know how to find people. No. Like, there's so many people I owe. Like, it's just like, is this why I'm stagnant right now? Is, is this why I have a law? Because I feel like um, I've not done enough. I feel like, you know, you know, you know, you know that you have, a, you know, as you're saying, amends that need to be made. But I think that the important thing is in the heart, right? It's if you became willing to make those amends, because trust me, um, if you have that in your heart and you have that desire, that's the important thing. And if that amend needs to be made, Shikesha, God's going to put that person in your path. You're going to get the opportunity to do it. So, right. yeah, that's, I think, I think just knowing that, that, that heart change, that's what's important. So if you, if you know that that's where your heart's at, then, right. then you can let go of that expectation because that's an unrealistic expectation. Right. Because you can't find the people. Like I just, right. I just feel like. Trust me, God's gonna people. put them in your path if the if they need the money. God's gonna put them in your path. So don't you worry. And you, you know, you just got to examine your heart and ask God to examine your heart. And then beyond that, you know, you're straight, and you can let go of that putting that extra pressure on yourself. That burden, it's a burden because I be feeling like I be feeling like um there's so many people that are responsible, I feel like, for what I went through, but I'm carrying that burden. Like mm-hmm. I don't the doctors never took responsibility for knowing that I was walking in with t- with tell tell signs of of, a, of active addiction right or dependency upon opioid they were prescribing to me and I basically was like okay what am I going through like I didn't know what I was experiencing and um so my dad said forgive yourself right you'll get through this you know the biggest part of recovery is forgiveness so I I just started forgiving myself for who I was the people I used I said I wasn't I wasn't the right person I wasn't Shikesha I was somebody else you know, I was in active addiction and I didn't even know what I was going through. So like you said, if you have the heart and the will yeah, and the forgiveness in your heart for that, then God will understand that. It's not even about you finding each person and saying, knocking on the door and saying, I'm so, so, so sorry. It's not yeah. about that, but it's about the will, the will that you forgive, forgave that person. 
Like if you knew how to find them, you would have, but you know, like I said, you'd be shocked. The, the situations that you'll find yourself in, God will put them in your path and give you that opportunity to make that amend, you know? And a lot of times you'll go try to pay them and they'll be, if it's a financial amend and they'll be like, you know what? keep it just you know how you can pay me back keep doing what you're doing because you're giving back and you're doing good i'm giving um, back in every way I, I i feel like that was the I, biggest I'm, part the biggest part of my recovery i think it's amazing and i just wanted you to know that because that's something that i also struggled with for a long time and i i mean it still creeps up on me sometimes too but uh i found that to be incredibly helpful uh for myself <laughs> when it was explained to me in that way that you know it's that that willingness that you developed, you know, you became willing to, to make these things right. And, right. and, and that you're taking personal responsibility. That's the important shit. That's because that's not what we were doing when we were high, you know, yes, exactly. Um, we're so opposite people. Exactly. exactly. So yep. last question, my favorite question. I love me some music. All right. And what is, you know, I used to be a DJ, right? No, I did not. You didn't. Yes, I used to be a DJ before I lost my hearing. I used to be a DJ. I know all the DJs from New York and Philly. All right. I do. I do. I do know all the DJs. And I used to do, like, I wasn't like in the clubs, but I was doing like little personal parties and custom CDs for weddings and all types of events. And I am the queen of music. Everybody knows this. I'm the queen of music. Well, then what? this should be an easy question for you. But you're not going to even know the song, so bye-bye. You don't even know, girl. <laughs> you don't even know. My, All right, let's see. What, what is something, or uh, what is a song, like, that symbolizes recovery to you? All right, here we go with this. I'm about to bring up Ryan Hampton, because I love him more than cooked food. Ryan Hampton, I know you're not going to be <laughs> the very end because this was a long video but listen so for mobilize recovery 2020 everybody on the mobilize recovery group had to pick songs out that were motivational and inspirational for recovery right yeah so i picked out like four songs and all my songs made the playlist okay i couldn't figure out what the songs were going to be used for i'm like is they going to give us a mixed cd when we got there guess what when we got to the macklemore concert they were playing them songs first. Or like when we were sitting in there waiting for him to come out. Yeah. They were playing all the music everybody picked for Mobilize Recovery for the for the playlist. Right. I know. So here's my song. Okay. So if you're from the hood, right, there's a song. There's a group called D-Train. And the song is called Keep On. Okay. And the guy in the song be singing and he be like, keep keeping on. Gotta, gotta, gotta keep it on. Sky's the limit. Let me know that you keep on. Just keep on pressing on. Sky's the limit. Let me know that you can have what you want. Be who you want. Sky's the limit. Let me know that you keep on. Just keep on pressing on. Sky's the limit. Let me know that you can have what you want. Be who you want. This song is going to make you cry. It makes me cry only because it's my dad's favorite song back in the day when him and my mom first met. Mm. But I've recovered from crying when I talk about my dad because I used to Oprah other be crying but I'm good now because <laughs> my dad loved this song by D Train and when I when I hear it I still do cry but not on when I'm talking about it but Ryan Hampton played this at Macklemore concert 
and I was crying and, 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 and sitting in my seat. Me and Jack Brown were sitting together. Me and yeah. Jacqueline. Yeah. And when they played that, I was like, dun, 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 dun. when I heard it, I was like, it's mm. so awesome. <laughs> so like that song, if you listen, I'm not lying. I put my right hand to God. Like <laughs> if you're somebody in recovery in any phase, whether you are one month, two months, a day, two weeks, whatever your recovery is, Google D train, keep on. And you're going to be in tears because it's a song. It's so inspirational. Like he's telling you yeah. to keep pushing. But you won't going. even have to Google it, you guys, because I'm going to have all these links to all those amazing organizations that she advocates with in the show notes. I'm going to have her book recommendation, the link to her book, The Life of Chaos, in the show notes. I'm going to have her song pick awesome. in the show Be notes. Trained. Just a nice little package for you guys with clickable links, and it'll be super easy for you to check it all out and get yours. Oh, man. Chikesha, thank you. Thank Jason, you for being here. I love here. you. You made my day. I loved love you too. when I met you at Mobilize Recovery. Like, we were like, you were like my brother. We were just cracking up in the lobby. Like, like, this is like, I don't know your expression. Like, I think you're going to be cracking up. <laughs> like, I love you so much. And I thank you for having me on your show. And I'm yeah, hoping that it. people are inspired by this and they look at me and, and see a woman that's powerful and that you can overcome and you can just keep pushing, keep going, keep going. Don't give up. And I know my life is not looking great right now, but at the end of the day, I'm still pushing. I'm still going. I have purpose. I'm not giving that's, up. That's recovery, dude. You know? Yes, we do recover. Hell yeah, we do. Well, you guys out there, thanks for listening. Um, and if you want to reach out to Chikesha, she's going to have her contact information also will be in the show notes. So you can easily reach out to her. And, uh, you know, if something resonated with her story with you and that you feel like you want to reach out to her. So thanks again. And I can't wait to drop this. It's going to be a few weeks, but it's going to be it's worth gonna it. It's going to be a gym. It's going to be a gym, period. It, for sure, it was. Y'all have a good one. Take it easy. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast.com all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.